Hi, lovelies. I'm Valeria, and this is Have Murder, Will Travel. Hello, everyone. Another week, another murder. Before we get into this week's case, I just want to express my condolences and deepest thoughts to everyone in Syria and Turkey. Earthquakes terrify me, and this one, oh, I keep seeing pictures and reading things. It's awful. The death toll keeps rising, but a lot of more people are being rescued, so that's that's something. If you were able to donate, I encourage you to do so. If not, just keep talking about it. Keep it on people's minds. We don't want the world to forget about their horrible suffering right now. That's all I wanted to say about that. There's no good transition from that, so I'm just going to tell you we're going to Denmark this week. I said hi at the beginning of the episode, and you may have thought I was speaking English, but I was actually saying hello in Danish. Hi is spelled H-E-J, but it's pronounced like hi in English. Love when the other languages make it easy on my dumb American house. That being said, the rest of the Danish language is hard. I did Google how to pronounce the Danish names and places, so hopefully I do it correctly, but Danish pronunciations are so different from English or anything I'm used to. Just remember I'm doing my best. I'm not trying to insult anyone. I'm trying. This week we are going to be talking about Pell Hardrup and Bjorn Sko Nielsen. This case is different from others I've covered in that we're going to focus on after the crime and the wild-ass defense. There is hypnosis involved. There are a lot of theories and thoughts about this case. I have a lot of thoughts about this case. We'll get into them, but I, I'm honestly not sure about what exactly happened in this case. On March 29th, 1951, around 10.15 a.m., 28-year-old Pell Hardrup entered the Lanmansbanken. It's a bank in Copenhagen. I did Google how to pronounce it, and I don't think I did it correctly. He, he came into a bank. Pell was wearing oil-stained work clothes, a ski hat, and dark sunglasses. Right off the bat, he's up to no good. Nobody wears a ski hat and dark glasses in a bank just to make a deposit. He was also carrying with him in his pocket a gun. In the bank at that time were nine employees and two customers. Pell pulled out the gun, fired it at the ceiling, and he told everyone to lie on the ground. They all wanted to live, so they did. Pell then threw a bag on the counter and ordered cashier Kai Mueller to stand up and fill the bag with money. Kai got up, and witnesses said he kind of took like a step back. Can you blame him? A masked assailant is holding you at gunpoint. I'd take a step back too. Unfortunately, when he took the step back, Pell pulled the trigger and Kai Mueller was shot dead. Pell then ordered the bank manager, Arnold Wisbom, to fill the bag with money. I guess Arnold was moving too slow for Pell or something because he shot him point blank range in the heart. Unfortunately, I couldn't find really any information about Kai and Arnold. I tried, I really did, because I would rather highlight the victims. But what happens next in this case is so wild. All the information I found was on Pell and Bjorn Skonixen. After murdering two people, Pell decided he didn't need the money after all and left. I've never robbed a bank, you humble brag, but I'm pretty sure killing two people and not getting any money is the definition of a bad bank robbery. It was March 29th in Denmark. It was still cold and snowy. 
and this dumb motherfucker tried to get away on a bike. And I don't mean a motorcycle, I mean a bicycle that you have to pedal with your own two little legs. He tried to escape on a bike in the snow. Big shock, it didn't work. He ended up running into a nearby building and hiding under some stairs. A witness saw him go in the building and was like, yeah, cops, he's in there. Plus, I'm sure the cops were like, thanks, we saw this dumbass's bicycle tracks too. Pell was promptly arrested. That should be the end. Except it wasn't. This case would instead stretch on for years. And many people, myself included, still think we don't know exactly what happened here. After the murders, the papers started looking into who this horrible double murderer was, and they quickly realized that Pell Hardrup had been pardoned and firmly released from prison only two years before. Pell Hardrup had one sibling, an identical twin brother. They had a good childhood by all accounts, middle-class parents. Pell was supposedly higher-than-average intelligence. He was sensitive, reliable, dutiful, ambitious. Sounds like a kid who would have a bright future. Then in 1940, Pell was 16, and there was a little something called World War II going on. You may have heard of it. The Nazis were occupying much of Europe at this point, and Denmark was no exception. 16-year-old Pell and his brother both joined a volunteer rifle group organized by the Nazis. That's not great. I'm very anti-Nazi. But just to be kind of objective here, they were 16, and it seemed like the Nazis were there to stay. Also, you're 16. Do do you really understand all that the Nazi party stands for? Of course, adult Pell turns out to be a sick asshole because he killed two people, but I'm just saying that 16-year-old Pell may not have understood all he was signing up for. Pell rose through the ranks and eventually joined the German Auxiliary Police. This group was also called Hippocorp. Pell was only in the Corps for the last three months of the war. He did try to avoid the real gnarly assignments, like interrogations and persecuting Jews. He tried to avoid all of those assignments, but he still stayed in the group, so still kind of sucks. The Allied Army came because, spoiler alert, Germany lost World War II. Pell and other German troops who were members of the Hippo Corps were arrested on May 8, 1945. His trial didn't occur until September the following year, and at his trial, 22-year-old Pell was sentenced to 14 years in prison. His brother received a much lighter sentence, not sure why, and his brother went on to work at a wholesale business and seemed to live a quiet life from what I could find. Pell, meanwhile, was stuck in prison. A prison report from December 1946 said he was, quote, polite and well-behaved. That may be true, but Pell was also depressed. He felt he had no future, and everything he knew was over and gone. He was severely depressed at this point. I think prison would do that to most people. Pell eventually felt a little better about prison because he had, quote, a mystical encounter with his guardian angel. He believed he saw his guardian angel, and this guardian angel spoke to him and told him that his prison sentence was just a time to learn and grow and prepare him for his future purpose. You're going to see there, there is definitely some mental illness going on with Pell that is not treated or probably even diagnosed correctly. His guardian angel gave him hope, made him feel better about prison life. If that's all there was, I'd be like, great, it's not hurting anybody, let him be. Unfortunately, this is when Pell became friends and cellmates with a master manipulator named Bjorn Sko 
Nielsen, springs us back to the bank robbery and double murder. Two days after Pell's arrest, a man called the Copenhagen police. This man told the police that it was his bicycle that Pell had used to escape from the burglary, and this guy was just calling to make sure that the cops didn't think he had anything to do with the murders since the cops, since Pell was on his bike. The cops were like, sir, we didn't even know you existed, but now this is weird, so we're definitely going to have a look into you. This dumbass brought himself to the cops' attention. It's like a little kid doing something wrong and then immediately ratting on themselves. Keep your fucking mouth shut, dummy. The police looked into this bike owner and found that it was Bjorn Sko Nielsen, Bell Hardrup's former cellmate. Around this time, the police also started receiving countless letters from other prisoners. All of these letters said that Bjorn had to be the real culprit of the crimes and not Pell. They all said that Bjorn had the ability to hypnotize Pell. I know what you're thinking. Hypnotized. Uh-huh. Sure. That's exactly what I was thinking, but there are experts on both sides of this. We're gonna get into all of it. Let's look at their relationship in prison where the supposed hypnosis began. Like Pell, Bjorn had been in prison for crimes committed during the Nazi occupation. He was sentenced in 1947. Unlike Pell, though, Bjorn was a career criminal. He had served time as a juvenile, and his most recent crimes were turning a former employer over to the Germans and blackmailing members of the resistance for huge sums, sums of money. He is a piece of shit. While in prison, he decided that instead of repenting and bettering himself. He just needed to come up with the perfect crime. Prison's really working for him. He said his perfect crime would be one that would be impossible to trace back to him and someone else would get caught and serve the time. Bjorn went around the prison bragging to all of the other prisoners about his upcoming perfect crime plan. Bjorn began studying hypnosis and which traits would make someone susceptible to hypnosis. He would even practice hypnotizing anyone who would let him. That's right. This fool's perfect crime involved him hypnotizing someone to do it for him. Okay, sir. Bjorn met Pell a few months after arriving in prison. He noticed right away that Pell possessed many of the traits he was looking for in his next mark. This is when the manipulation started. What happens next is up for debate, but I'm going to tell you the version that Pell gave and that was accepted in court. Yes, it involves hypnosis. I think that is not at all what is going on in this situation. I think Bjorn was looking for someone to manipulate, and he found a gullible easy mark in Pell. Just my opinion. Bjorn began their friendship by telling Pell a number of lies. Among them, Bjorn said he knew all about different religions, he was a member of a society for psychic research, and he was a master yogi. I don't believe this guy even knows what yoga is. He told Pell he'd give him books on religion to study to initiate him into the mysteries he had learned. He'd also teach Pell yoga, and he told Pell that these teachings would reveal life's true meaning, grant escape from present miseries, and guarantee a better afterlife. He said all this to a man who believes he had seen his guardian angel, and that guardian angel had told him he would learn and grow while in prison. The man was already mentally unstable, and Bjorn pounced. Amazingly, Pell was able to resist Bjorn at first. He's like, no, man, I don't want to be friends with you. But Bjorn pressured him every single day in the prison workshop. 
He told Pell that hypnosis would help him through mind expansion, and by expanding his mind, he could have direct communication with God. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but if anyone ever tells you you'll have direct communication with God, they're full of shit. Pell read all the books that Bjorn had gave him. The books talked about how he needed a teacher to help him. Naturally, Bjorn was more than happy to be his teacher. Now Betty was classic manipulation. Once Pell accepted Bjorn as his teacher, they began doing their spiritual exercises every day in a corner of the workroom. Bjorn never used the word hypnosis. Apparently, that's a thing hypnotists do. They don't like to use the H word. I didn't know that. He would instead call the hypnotic sessions concentrations. It reminds me of how in like Marvel, due to the copyright issues, they have characters that are mutants, but they can't use the word mutant. So they have to say like enhanced or they have abilities. That's what this is. It's like somebody else has the copyright on the word hypnosis. To assuage any fears that Pell might have, Bjorn always let Pell try out new exercises on him first. Of course, Bjorn would pretend that he was hypnotized, and then he would actually hypnotize Pell. Eventually, they became cellmates, and for the next two years, they were always together. Bjorn continued to subject Pell to mind control exercises, slowly taking away his autonomy. We can choose to believe this was his hypnosis, or we can say that Bjorn was a master manipulator who was slowly isolating and controlling his victim. You know what side I fall on. Eventually, Bjorn had Pell doing yoga round the clock, only stopping to eat and sleep. I had no idea that yoga and hypnosis were related. I've done yoga lots of times, and it has never once involved hypnosis. Supposedly, all the yoga made Pell's mind more open to hypnotic suggestions. Pell, meanwhile, genuinely believed he was moving from mundane terrestrial life and making contact with spiritual forces. Bjorn even started isolating Pell. He told him under hypnosis that he couldn't speak to anyone other than him. Again, master manipulation, classic abuser, isolation. Other prisoners later said that Pell did ignore them and no longer spoke to anyone other than Bjorn. They all thought it was strange, but it was prison, so they minded their damn business. Bjorn, meanwhile, was allowed to talk to people, of course, and he went around the prison telling all the other prisoners about all his control over Pell. Pell was supposedly walking around in a state of constant trance. I, I don't buy that. How could you be constantly hypnotized? That doesn't make any sense. Bjorn then decided it was time to ratchet up the manipulation. He let Pell hypnotize him. Of course, he was pretending. While hypnotized, Bjorn channeled the voice of Pell's guardian angel, the one that had appeared to Pell before he even met Bjorn. Bjorn, as the guardian angel, told Pell, that his imprisonment was happening to strengthen him and test him so he could carry out the mission it was his destiny to fulfill. Pell believed that Bjorn really had channeled his guardian angel. This meant that Pell was even more under Bjorn's control now. Bjorn could tell Pell anything and say it was the guardian angel. Bjorn said the guardian angel's name was X. Sounds like the name of a henchman in Austin Powers. They can just hear Dr. Evil going, Mr. X, throw him out the window, please. That wasn't how he talked, but you know. Pell did not question this name and genuinely believed anything X said. I almost feel bad for Pell because he is being manipulated and controlled through classic abuse techniques. But then I remember that he murdered two people and 
I don't feel as bad for him. Bjorn told Pell that X and God were the same person, but I thought X was his guardian angel. So is his guardian angel God? Bjorn doesn't even know what he's saying. Gonna lie, manipulate, at least make it make sense. Supposedly, Bjorn also did something while Pell was hypnotized that meant Pell would have amnesia to anything X said to him or made him do while he was hypnotized. The X stuff got so bad that Bjorn could make Pell hypnotic just by making an X gesture, like crossing his legs or crossing his arms. He could even just say, X says, and Pell would immediately be in a hypnotic trance. This is the plot of a telenovela and not real life. Also sounds like bullshit to me. X now told Pell that his mission in life was to unify Scandinavia and create a world with no wars where God and mankind would be spiritually one. If Pell failed to follow X's orders, he would be banished to spiritual darkness in this life and hell in the next. X also told him the number one rule was secret don't tell. It's like Fight Club. We don't talk about Fight Club. I'm gonna talk about it, though. If X is God and he wants a world with no wars, can't he do that himself? If not, why would he pick a dude in a Danish prison? Why not pick someone with freedom and also the ability to influence a lot of people? Someone high up in government, for example. This just seems like too much for one guy, and being that he's in charge of the world, seems like God would know that. Over the next year, X, Bjorn, completely changed Pell's brain chemistry and created a new superego through conditioning exercises that changed everything Pell thought was right or wrong. It's all based on what X wanted. Not sure you can create a new superego, but we'll get into whether or not this is possible a little later. X then told Pell that he needed independence from all material objects. This, of course, meant that Pell had to give all of his stuff to Bjorn. He gave Bjorn his watch, his accordion, and then he even became a vegetarian, so Bjorn got double meat rations. This sounds like cult leader shit now. You know, the cult leader's always like, you must give up all your worldly possessions, but you must give them to me because the rules don't apply to me. That's what this sounds like. Get fucked, sir. X then started preparing Pell for a life of crime. X would have Pell act out crimes. First, it was minor crimes, petty theft and such. But then X started making him act out more serious offenses, armed robberies, safe cracking, murders. And eventually, Pell had to act out killing his own mother. This upset Pell greatly, so X just made him do it over and over. Bjorn just likes to see Pell suffer. He's a sadist. X also made it clear that Pell could never tell anyone Bjorn was involved and told him that no one could hypnotize him but Bjorn. This is called locking, and we will get into it because there is debate about if it's even possible, and it definitely didn't happen in this case. In early 1949, X told Pell to escape the prison, but then had to come back and free his guru, Bjorn. Pell did manage to escape, but he was very quickly caught. As we already know, he's not good at getaways, so makes sense. Pell did get extra years added onto his sentence, but he never told anyone Bjorn was involved in the escape. Because remember, X told him he could never tell anyone about Bjorn's involvement. Even though the escape didn't work, this told Bjorn that Pell was completely loyal to him. 
Also in 1949, Denmark had started shortening prison sentences for collaborators. Bjorn Nielsen was released from prison in 1949. Without him around to wield control, Pell was himself again. But Pell was to be released soon as well, and he started receiving letters from X. The letters let him know that X had not forgotten him, and he was excited. This is when reason should have popped in. Why does X need to channel Bjorn? Couldn't he just appear to Pell? If he does need to channel someone, why couldn't he channel a new prisoner who was around Pell? Make it make sense. Pell was released from prison on October 29th, 1949. He went to his parents' home and immediately called Bjorn. The two met the next afternoon, where the manipulation continued. Pell got a job, but he would give most of his salary to Bjorn. I don't know what Bjorn was doing, but if I had to guess, he was just being a loser slug failure of life. Pell lived with his parents, and they thought all this stuff with Bjorn was weird, because it is. Bjorn realized that he needed to get Pell out of his parents' house. This is when X introduced Pell to a girl. X told Pell to marry this girl, so that's what he did. It's unclear if Pell had any genuine feelings for the woman or not. This next part will convince you that even if Bjorn wasn't hypnotizing people, he's a piece of shit. Before Pell married the girl, Bjorn told Pell that he needed to also have sex with her. Pell agreed because he can't say no to X. This girl was like, uh huh, no thank you. But then Pell said he wouldn't marry her, so then she agreed. I question whether or not she actually agreed. This feels very rapey. Coercion is not consent. I'm gonna say that one more time. Coercion is not consent. If it was three consenting adults, I'd be like, good for you guys, have fun. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think Bjorn is a sexual deviant who thinks he can have sex with whoever he wants. Supposedly, even after Pell married the woman, Bjorn continued to have sex with her. Again, this was consensual, cool, not cool, she's cheating on her spouse, but it's consensual, whatever. Doesn't seem like it is. Let's also not forget that Pell is supposedly hypnotized and unable to say no to X slash Bjorn, so there's no way he could have said he was okay with his wife having sex with his friend. X continued to remind Pell about his mission to unify Scandinavia. In order to do this, they needed money so they could gather weapons and arm a militia. This is when the bank robbery comes in. Pell actually committed a successful bank robbery and gave all the money to Bjorn. Eventually, Bjorn was running out of money, which is funny because I thought the money was for unifying Scandinavia, not funding your fucking lifestyle. Bjorn convinced Pell to commit another bank robbery. This brings us to March 29th and the botched robbery that caused the deaths of Kai Mueller and Arnold Visbom. From the beginning, you know that Pell was arrested early after the murders. In custody, he never once said anything about Bjorn because X told him he could never reveal Bjorn's involvement. Then that dumb fuck called the police and put himself on the cops' radar. If Bjorn had just minded his business, cops probably never would have even investigated him. Stupid. The cops were getting all kinds of letters and reports from prisoners who served with Bjorn and Pell, saying that Pell was essentially Bjorn's puppet. The police questioned Pell about Bjorn's involvement, Pell denied he was involved. This doctor said that Pell had a psychotic-like condition caused by subjection to prolonged, intensive hypnotraining. Police then decided to question Pell with Bjorn there. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. Bjorn immediately leaned forward with his elbows on his knees 
and his hands crossed over his chest. Fucker was literally making an X with his hands. The cops told him to sit upright, so he did, but he crossed his legs, so he was still making an X. Even just the gesture of an X was supposedly enough to control Pell. The police also noted that during the three-hour interrogation, Bjorn stared intently into Pell's eyes for three hours. Pell maintained Bjorn had nothing to do with the robbery or the murders. Bjorn also started writing letters to Pell while Pell was in jail. Not sure why that was allowed. Bjorn, Bjorn always signed the letters X. Then a prisoner came forward and said that Bjorn had paid him to draw X's on the wall where Pell would see them. This is when the police were like, hmm, something definitely going on here. They then called in Dr. Paul Ryder. Ryder was a lecturer on psychotherapy and psychosomatic medicine at the University of Copenhagen. He was considered an expert on criminal psychiatry and was one of Denmark's foremost hypnosis experts. At the time he was called in, Dr. Ryder did not believe criminal hypnosis was possible. Dr. Ryder worked with Pell for months. He used truth serum and hypnosis to break through and get Pell to talk about the last four years with Bjorn. This is when Pell gave the versions of events. I've already told you all the stuff about them in prison. This is when the police decided they had enough to arrest Bjorn. Even though Bjorn even had an alibi for the robbery and murders, he was actually on a forest trip with some ladies. Didn't matter, still arrested. In court, Bjorn was seated next to Pell, and witnesses overheard Bjorn reminding Pell of his duty to X. After the court sessions, it would take days for Dr. Ryder to be able to get through to Pell again. Dr. Ryder was able to get the court to say that Bjorn couldn't write Pell letters anymore. However, another prisoner later said that Bjorn gave him letters from X to pass on to Pell, so the manipulation continued. When Pell read Dr. Ryder's report before the end of the trial, he was stunned. He thought all the things he had gone through had been made up. He apparently was so distressed by the things he had done and what he had been through that he had trouble sleeping and would have nightmares about X. Dr. Ryder hypnotized Pell and told him that he would have no more nightmares. This worked, but only for one night. The second night, he had more nightmares about X. When Pell then appeared in court, he was exhausted and out of his mind. The court still decided it was a good idea to have Dr. Ryder hypnotize him for everyone to watch. I do feel a bit bad for Pell here. He clearly needs some mental health help, and he's not getting it. In fact, I think all of this is probably making his mental health worse. While hypnotized in court, Pell saw a dark angel who threatened to throw him into the abyss for disobedience. He saw the dark angel and Dr. Ryder merge into one. Then he woke up out of his trance and began to sob. Very theatrical. It reminds me of the scene in Chicago where Billy Flynn does the razzle-dazzle in court and no one else in court can see the showgirls. I feel like Pell is putting on a show that only he can see. Pell then lunged at Dr. Ryder and had to be restrained by officers, but they still didn't stop the fucking trial. Instead, Dr. Ryder sedated Pell, and while under the influence of narcotics, Pell continued to testify. What the fuck, Danish court? I'm not trying to defend a murderer, but how can you let him continue to testify? I don't know how the Danish legal system works, but I would think this would be grounds for an appeal or a mistrial or something. What the fuck? This was all at a preliminary hearing, too. This case then stretched on for two 
years, with Bjorn's legal team claiming that Pell was insane and or a liar. Bjorn's team also tried to deprive Pell of legal and psychiatric help, which is fucked up. This is when the debating and arguing over hypnosis began. Bjorn's team hired medical experts who said it was impossible to make someone do something against their will while under hypnosis. Dr. Ryder believed that Bjorn systematically changed Pell's character and induced an entirely new secondary personality. He was fully convinced that what Pell said was true. Dr. Ryder wrote in his report, quote, It is possible from this case to deduce the sad moral that a sufficiently skillful and cunning hypnotizer, given suitable, favorable circumstances, will solve the possibility of committing serious crimes with the help of another person whom he has by means of hypnotic training, formed into a useful tool for carrying out the crimes without himself running the risk of discovery and subsequent punishment. This from a man who didn't believe in criminal hypnosis before working this case. Another hypnosis expert, Geert Jorgensen, disagreed with Dr. Ryder, though. He said that even in his apparent trances, Pell was capable of lying. He thought it was possible that Pell made it all up to try and get off. Experts over the years have looked back on this case, and the biggest problem most of them have with Dr. Ryder's report is that it's based on Pell's statements, and that's it. Dr. Ryder barely interacted with Bjorn at all. That's not good. You gotta get both sides. Dr. Ryder also talked about locking, which I mentioned before. Locking is where somebody says, you can't be hypnotized by anyone other than me. You're essentially locked to that person. It is debated among hypnotists if that's even possible. Bjorn had done that, said nobody can hypnotize you from except for me. And that was in Dr. Ryder's report. I mentioned it earlier. He mentioned it in the report. He turned into court. Clearly, that wasn't the case, though, because Dr. Ryder hypnotized Pell to get him to talk. How can you say that Bjorn was the only one capable of hypnotizing him when you, in fact, hypnotized him multiple times? Dr. Ryder said we should believe Pell because his story matched the evidence, and also Dr. Ryder told him under hypnosis that he couldn't lie. Okay, it's like, no, it's fine. I told him not to lie, so he didn't. Oh, what? You want me to believe that under hypnosis, he killed people without his knowledge, but I'm also supposed to believe that he won't lie under hypnosis. Okay, I did some of my own research into hypnosis and crime. I really wanted to know if it was possible to hypnotize someone to commit a crime, and can you believe what someone says under hypnosis? I just had a lot of questions. A report from the State University of New York at Birmingham said, quote, the very things that make hypnosis valuable in clinical circumstances, circumstances, excuse me, such as a hypnotized patient's openness to suggestions from the therapist and the expectation that hypnosis will work, are dangerous when it comes to trying to establish facts in settings such as a courtroom. Basically, people under hypnosis are highly suggestible, and we probably shouldn't believe everything they say. In 1983, Concordia University did a study that found that hypnotized subjects tend to be particularly susceptible to the implantation of false memories by hypnotists. Could it be then that Dr. Ryder unintentionally projected his desired outcome on Pell? Asked him leading questions? Confirmation bias is a thing. I'm not bashing hypnosis at all. There have been plenty of instances where it has helped. 
Bobber Doty, a hypnosis consultant and retired NYPD officer, recalled a case where, through the use of hypnosis, a young man was able to remember a decal on the window of a car involved in a shooting, which resulted in an arrest. This man also admitted, though, that hypnosis can be unreliable. He had once consulted on a case where hypnosis led to a wrongful charge of sexual assault. In 1979, Luke Clark wrote in a paper for the University of Baltimore that no hypnotist could make someone commit a crime if they were not already willing to do it. If a hypnotist tries to make someone do something that goes against their morals or puts themselves in danger, they will refuse or wake themselves up. This was further evidenced by a study done at Stanford University by Dr. Ernest Hilgard. In his study, hypnotized people were given bizarre commands. All of them were able to resist or wake up. Dr. Jacob H. Kahn from the John Hopkins School of Medicine studied 150 years worth of medical literature and case histories, and he says there is no proof anywhere of a violent crime being committed under hypnosis. He said that any case where hypnosis was used as a defense, quote, there was also found to be an extraordinarily intimate, interpersonal dependent relationship between the hypnotist and the subject over a long period of time. On the basis of this pathological relationship, each subject could have committed the crime of which he was accused without the formality of hypnosis. The fact that hypnosis had been practiced at one time or another gave the defendant a plausible sounding alibi. He ain't buying it. He says, you would have done it anyway, and you're just using the fact that you once did hypnosis as a fucking excuse. Prevailing opinion seems to be that you can't hypnotize someone to commit a crime. Pell may have been hypnotized at different times, but he wouldn't have committed the robberies and murders unless that was already inside him. That desire, that ability, that sort of moral standard. In addition to hypnosis, Dr. Ryder also used truth serum to get the story out of Pell. Truth serum has been used in interrogation since the 30s. I did not realize it had been around quite that long. Many judges, scientists, and psychiatrists reject the idea that the drugs get memories out intact. Instead, truth serum simply makes people feel like talking and puts them in a state of extreme susceptibility. People under the influence of truth serum will pick up on cues about what the questioner wants to hear, and they will simply repeat that back. Despite all the evidence against the hypnosis theory, the court found Bjorn guilty of robbery, attempted robbery, and manslaughter. He was sentenced to life in prison. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a piece of shit that deserves to be in prison. I just do not buy the hypnosis thing. He was clearly involved because he took the money from the first bank robbery, but I think he was just like a natural manipulator who preyed on a mentally ill man. That's my take on it. The jury also found Pell guilty and sentenced him to an institution for the criminally insane. While in the hospital, Pell wrote a new confession to Bjorn's attorney, admitting to all the crimes and denying that Bjorn had anything to do with them. He also asked his attorney in the court to remove the word hypnosis from the case. The case, of course, went to appeals court because Pell has now given three different confessions. First, he said it was just him. Then he gave that whole story to Dr. Ryder. Now, once again, he's back to, no, no, it's just me. It should also be noted that during this time, Bjorn was once again allowed to write Pell letters. He's, what? I still don't understand that. They're co-conspirators. They shouldn't be allowed contact. Bjorn also wrote letters to the court at this time where he referred to Pell, his supposed friend, as 
The poor psychotic fellow. Piece of shit. Pell appeared in appeals court and many witnesses said that Bjorn immediately continued to make X gestures, still manipulating. Dr. Stirrup, the head doctor at the Institute for Psychopaths where Pell was confined, testified that at the hospital, Pell was well-behaved, always quiet and appropriate, and curiously different from his courtroom behavior. Yeah, because Bjorn's not at the hospital. He said despite his denial now in court, at the hospital, Pell had said, of course hypnosis played a part. Anyone ought to be able to see all that is in Ryder's report can't be wrong. The Court of Appeals issued a preliminary report in May 1957 evaluating Pell's mental state as, quote, an artificially established induced psychosis created and developed through the influence of another person making use of all the ways and means at his disposal, including hypnosis. It concluded that, quote, induced impulses, post-hypnotic suggestions, had been used by Nielsen to exploit his control over Pell with criminal intent. So the appeals court believes it too. These courts all believe that he was completely hypnotized to do this. So a month later, the court came out and said that they believed what he had told Dr. Ryder was the truth. Despite that, they were like, you're still guilty though. And they said no more appeals. Bjorn, unfortunately, was paroled in 1967. By all accounts, he continued to be a manipulative piece of shit who scanned, scammed people for his own benefit. He killed himself in 1974. Pell was released in 1967 as well. After he was released, he gave the following statement, quote, They have now cured me, and they also pretend to have cured my conscience. This is true, but it also follows that every word I have been pressured to say about Sko Nielsen with the help of truth serum, narcotics, and many other forms of psychological torture must now be retracted. So he gets out and he's like, hey, it was just me. Bjorn had nothing to do with it. If that's true, Bjorn went to jail for nothing. Pell went on to live a quiet life, by all accounts, had some jobs, worked, did his thing, and he actually lived a long time. He did not die until 2012. That is all we have. That's the facts about this case. Still a lot of questions, though. Was Pell actually hypnotized by Bjorn to commit those crimes? Did Pell lie and have an innocent man thrown in prison? Was Pell mentally ill, highly suggestible, and made the story up to please the doctors and the police? There's so many unanswered. I want to know what the fuck was going on. Since they're both dead, we'll probably never know the real answer. I'm saying it now. I kind of said it during the episode too. I think the hypnosis is bullshit, but I do believe that Bjorn was involved some way. I also think the worst part of this case is that this whole hypnosis theory was sensationalized and overshadowed the fact that two people were murdered. Kai Mueller and Arnold Visbaum lost their lives. And that should be the story, not was the man hypnotized. I don't care if he was hypnotized. He killed two people. That is the end of our journey to Denmark. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can follow the podcast on Facebook at Have Murder Will Travel Podcast. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Have Murder Will Travel. I always post pictures from the case. You can send me an email at Have Murder Will Travel at gmail.com. Tune in next week to see where we travel next. Until then, don't forget to explore the world and stay alive. Bye.